In August 2016, Sherry Woundedfoot of the Oglala Sioux Tribe was found beaten unconscious outside the Lakota Hope Ministry Building in White Clay, Nebraska. She died just 12 days later. Not only does her family believe that Sherry's life could have been saved, they believe that the law enforcement did not take her case seriously. To this day, Sherry's case remains unsolved and her killer is still on the loose. This is the story of Sherry and Woundedfoot. Hey guys, this is Osh. This is Shiashi. This is Maggie, and you're listening to We Are Resilient. Shio friends, we are back together again, but before we get started, and I'm only bringing this up because Maggie asked me about it, because she knows how big of a K-pop stan I am, and we've been going through it, me and my other fellow K-pop stans these last few weeks. Ash, if you don't know, my bias Moonbin, who was in the K-pop group Astro, passed away. There are various reports. One claims that it was a stroke. Others are claiming he took his own life because he was battling depression. Oh, no. Which either one of those instances still make me incredibly sad. It's just he had such a beautiful smile and always looked so happy. And you never really realize if someone is struggling internally. Yeah, that's really sad because, you know, he was such a prominent pop star it seemed like but depression is primarily silent i don't know his death has just been sticking with me these last few weeks Uh, and then on top of that um my sunshine hobie uh enlisted into the military so that's the second bts member to go are they required to though i mean yeah but it's still sad you know i really didn't see myself being a military wife but here i am Anyways, that's where I am today. I'm sure our listeners are like, this is riveting stuff here. But I love K-pop and Astro and BTS. So sorry, not sorry. Is that, are they a band? Is that what they are? Like a music band? Ash, I've mentioned them before. BTS is like the biggest Korean boy band on the planet. Oh, I think I've heard of BTS. Okay. You think? I'm sorry. So if you're just tuning in, this is Ash's last recording with us. And Maggie's regretting bringing up K-pop before we record. (laughs) Anyways, we're going to jump into today's story. Ash, are you ready? All right. So today I'm going to talk to you and tell you the story of Sherry Ann Woundedfoot. Sherry was born on July 13, 1966 in Rapid City, South Dakota to Jonas and Florence Woundedfoot. She was a 50-year-old indigenous woman of the Oglala Sioux tribe from Pine Ridge, South Dakota. She grew up in the Oshkosh community along Rapid Creek near the Gap in Rapid City. The Oshkosh community was primary Native American housing area, which was destroyed during the Black Hills flood in 1972. Her family was displaced and moved to Evergreen on the Pine Ridge Reservation. Sherry attended Rocky Ford Elementary School, where she played sports, and she was a cheerleader. She went to the job corps in Sioux City, where she studied small engine repair and then became a certified nursing assistant and worked in Gordon Memorial Hospital for a small period of time. She had one son and two daughters. She was a mother and a grandmother from a large family who she was really close with, and she loved to cook for her loved ones. Her family just spoke so many good memories of her and just how loving she was. On August 5th, 2016, a phone call was made to authorities when a body was lying unconscious behind the Lakota Hope Ministry building in White Clay, Nebraska. When the ambulance arrived, they found Sherry laying behind the building and transported her to the Pine Ridge Hospital. They did not suspect she had been assaulted when they first arrived. And upon arrival at the hospital, she began to have a seizure, which required them to contact another hospital for advanced help. And a CT scan was required first in order for her to be transferred. 
So they just thought that she passed out in the street? They don't know what they thought. They just thought when the ambulance first arrived, they just found someone lying unconscious. Oh, okay, I see. The CT scan results showed she had internal bleeding in her head and was in need of immediate surgery. So she was transported by helicopter to Rapid City Regional Hospital at 1.25 p.m., which by now is about three and a half hours after the ambulance had first arrived for help. But you see, by then, by delaying the diagnosing of her serious head injury, it meant she wasn't treated during the golden hour when she had the best chance for recovery. And the golden hour is the concept that critically injured patients are required to receive definitive care within 60 minutes from the occurrence of injuries, after which mortality significantly increases. My goodness, she was just passed off to one facility to the next. She tolerated the surgery well. However, the hospital staff noticed she had bruises on her face. Another CT scan showed fractured ribs and fluid, likely blood, in her abdomen. Once her family heard of the incident and her hospitalization, they contacted law enforcement to suggest she may have been the victim of a violent act. I mean, yeah, if she's got fractured ribs. Authorities inquired with Pine Ridge Hospital and they learned she was transported to Rapid City and the staff there did confirm her injuries did coincide with a possible assault. She was in the hospital for 12 days. Sherry was in a coma following her surgery and was on life support. The family decided to bring her back to Pine Ridge Hospital for her end-of-life care. She was on life support in her last days, and she passed with her family surrounding her on August 17, 2016, at the age of 50. So did the family not think it was concerning that she was just found lying in the street? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'll, read, I'll get into that just in just a second. Doctors informed the family she passed from a brain bleed caused by severe head trauma, and the man of her death was ruled possible homicide. The family was devastated and an official investigation was started into Sherry's death. Just as we've stated many times before, the family believed authorities did not take her case seriously in the first place. Logan Lafferty, her oldest son, stated, Each death in white clay seems like nobody could care less, like us natives aren't human. Sherry's daughter stated while she was with her in the hospital, I can see bruising like fingertip bruising on her legs and arms. And it was really odd things that I noticed. That's when I knew something was wrong. It's like she was less of a person because she was found in white clay. So clearly there were signs of a struggle too. Yeah, it makes you wonder when the police first arrived on the scene, the officer said that he didn't see any signs of assault. Uh, It was kind of implied that she just kind of passed out in the back of that building. Yeah, because even the... um the clinicians at the Rapid City Memorial Hospital confirmed the same thing, that she had um, bruising and marks of a possible assault. So when she first arrived at the hospital, it seems like maybe they just kind of ignored some signs and she didn't get the proper care that she needed. Ash, I was reading a few articles while you're telling us this story, and I saw I saw one that mentioned that Sherry had dealt with abusive relationships throughout her life. Was there any indication in any of your research that stated that there was they were looking into possibly a ex boyfriend boyfriend? I didn't see anything anywhere. Okay, because when I read that, I was thinking and I was really really hoping that this was not one of those cases where it's obvious who may have done it and that person is never held accountable. We see that so many times in these cases. Yeah. But I guess over time, no one's been publicly named, right? There's no, what do you call it, leads. There's no, I mean, there's an investigation, but it has no leads. God, no leads. And this happened in 2016. According to the National Institute of Justice, they reported four out of five indigenous women experience violence and more than half have been physically abused by an intimate partner. 
And just as a reminder, or if you're new to listening to this podcast because we've talked about it many times before, murder is the third leading cause of death for Indigenous mothers, sisters, daughters, cousins, aunties. A few months after Sherry's death, the family still had no answers. So a group of activists working to end alcohol sales in White Clay, Nebraska, put up award money to the Nebraska Crime Stoppers for any information leading to the arrest for Sherry's case. But what is also sad is that in 2012, Sherry's brother was found under similar circumstances in White Clay. What? He was beaten and left for dead and ended up passing away as well. And to this day, no arrests have been made in his case. Similar? It's pretty much the exact same thing. You see, alcohol sales are prohibited in Pine Ridge, but at the time it was still sold outside of town in white clay, and they believed that alcohol contributed to the violence and vagrancy that are related to the problems that affected the small town. Pine Ridge is legally dry, which means they prohibit alcohol sales on the res. White clay sells about 4 million cans of beer annually, primary to residents of Pine Ridge. And that's a staggering number. And one of the articles I read, they said if you were to line all the beer cans side by side, they would stretch from California to New York. And that's in one year. In a year? Okay, that exceeds my general thought on the severity of the alcohol issue. I mean, that's wild. However, in 2017, because of pressure from these advocates, the beer stores were shut down in White Clay. The Nebraska Liquor Commission determined that there was not enough law enforcement in the unincorporated town of about 10 to 12 people. Wait a minute, you're telling me this town that is supplying all this alcohol only has a 10 to 12 people person population and not enough police officers to cover this. I'm confused. Speaking of which, in one of the articles I did read, one stated that she was passed out from drinking. And then another one stated that the seizure that the seizure she had was actually an alcoholic seizure, whatever that is. Did your research say anything about possible alcohol levels or anything to correlate that she had been drinking? It didn't say. Maggie, you covered a case about a young woman who was found in a ditch and her case was never solved because it was just assumed that she had been drunk and passed out. Are you talking about Iris Whistling Elk where she was found in the ditch? Yeah. And what I remember was the, I think it was the blunt force trauma. And yet she was blamed for passing out saying that she hit her head on a rock. Yeah. So it's similar because Iris Whistling Elk was also found in a ditch like near some bushes and they basically implied that she was drunk and staggered and potentially hit her head multiple times and caused her injuries to herself. You know the similarities in these cases it really does feel like we're telling the same story over and over. That's why the family is just trying to get answers trying to figure out what happened who did this to her because they know she didn't do it to herself she put the bruises there the scratch marks they had trauma. What happened? But not only are they fighting for that, they're also fighting for justice from the hospital because they felt that they neglected to care for her in a proper manner. Because there was a delay yeah. transferring her, they believe that that's why she succumbed to her injuries. This makes me think about, and Maggie, you would probably be better to speak on this than me, but it makes me think of a lot of underfunding that IHS facilities have. Not that that's an excuse for a delay of treatment. Yeah, that's probably why the first hospital didn't have the resources they needed for imaging for her, because a lot of Indian Health Service facilities are federally funded, and the government only funds Indian Health Service at a portion of the estimated cost of each patient. 
So there are hardly ever enough Indian Health Service funds to actually support the care that these patients need. Most tribes are not as well off as we are and don't have their own funding source. Our hospital is supplemented by a lot of tribal gaming revenue, which is how we are able to have such great services in our community. You know, I've been to Rapid City, South Dakota, and there are really big parts of that city, but they're also really desolate you know, rural areas where there's just land in between houses and nothing else. I mean, I can remember driving by the sheriff's office. I think it was for the Pine Ridge Reservation. That's what we're talking about, Osh, right? It's the Pine Ridge Reservation, yeah. So we drove by the sheriff's office or the police department, if you will, and it was literally like a shack on the side of the road. And there was one really old police car in front of it, and that was it. Are you familiar with Pine Ridge, Shashi? Well, I'm familiar in a sense, like I've heard of it and I've read about it and I've read cases about MMIW from Pine Ridge. Back in 2012, I actually went to the Rosebud Reservation. So I am I am a little familiar with what we're describing here. So Pine Ridge is really, really poor, Shiashi. It's like a third world country there. Well, what's the actual size of it? How big is the Pine Ridge Reservation? Um, 3,468 square miles. The largest reservation in the, in the United States. Yeah, it's 2.1 million acres. Holy crap. It's huge. And they only have 20,000 enrolled members. So, I mean, 20,000 people spread out through 2.1 million acres. It sounds very isolated. I mean, I think I read one time, like, the life expectancy there is really low, like 50. 50? It's like 50 for women and late 40s for men is the life expectancy there. So I just looked it up, and according to IndianYouth.org, the life expectancy on the Pine Ridge Reservation is the lowest anywhere in the Western Hemisphere, except for Haiti. A recent study found that the life expectancy for men is 48 years. For women, it's 52 years on the reservation. So that those numbers are staggering. In 2019, Sherry's daughter, Sandra, filed a lawsuit against the federal government for negligence on the part of the Pine Ridge Hospital and Ambulance Service. She mentioned in her lawsuit that they failed to recognize a life-threatening injury that requires immediate treatment, and she'd been transferred earlier it could have saved her life, even though she was covered in blood and showed bruises on her body when she was first taken by ambulance. Yeah, and the police officer was just like, nope, no assault here, when there's clear physical signs of assault. Yeah, even with the bruises and the she was covered in blood when they found her, they still just assumed it was drunk. It's sad. And I think that's why her family's like wanting justice, because I guess a lot of the cases or incidences kind of end that way, because it's just another Indian. Indian. But they are treating it as a homicide, correct? A possible homicide. And just to take it back to the alcohol sales that you had mentioned earlier, this article, and we'll put it in the show notes, but it says that seven cans of beer were purchased every minute, every single day when these stores were open in White Clay. I don't even know how to calculate the math on this one. Four million cans of beer a year. Osh, have you read anything about how White Clay is now, considering that these stores closed years ago? Um, Yeah, I read an article that said that it's a little bit better. There's not as many people hanging out in the streets or the roads. I want to say White Clay was just outside of Pine Ridge, but now people are having to travel 21 miles to the nearest city to get alcohol. And so the people are saying that it's cleaned up a little. Now, I do remember reading about people just being passed out on the streets there during the height of this alcohol consumption that was happening during that time. Yeah. And that's why the family fears she'll never get justice, because at the time it was just 
what happened. And they just want justice for their mom. Absolutely. As advocates, it's important that we do our part in telling stories like these, where our Indigenous sisters are not getting justice and the families must fight to have closure for their loved ones. This is the story of Sherry Ann Woundedfoot. May she rest in peace and justice be served in her case. Today, her case remains unsolved. Anyone with information about the case is encouraged to contact the Oglala Sioux Police Department at 605-867-5141 or the Nebraska State Patrol at 402-471-4545. Thank you for listening to We Are Resilient. For links to information found for this episode, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at We Are Resilient Podcast. Send us an email at weareresilientpod at gmail.com or visit us at www.war-podcast.com.